0: Welcome to the Founders with Purpose podcast, where I interview early stage founders about their mission, why they chose startup life, and how they will get where they're going. I'm your host, Darian Parrish, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Okay, we are back with uh, Founders with Purpose podcast, and we have Shani here from Will2Click. Shani, why don't you tell the listeners uh, quickly what will to click is?
1: Yeah, sure. First of all, thank you so much for having me on, Darian. It's really quite exciting to be here. And I'm the founder of world to click which is a fintech app that aggregates estate assets. So the easiest way to think of it is Mint, like the Mint app, but for estate assets, aggregating life insurance, real estate investments, banking accounts, personal items, as well as credit card points, so that the user has a real-time view of their entire estate and the beneficiary allocation. And I've been working on it for about a year and a half now. After finishing my MBA, uh, prior to launching well I worked at a fintech startup that was in the risk assessment space. And before that, I worked at a venture capital firm where I managed the accounting and finance functions for uh, multiple startups. But my real entree into the startup ecosystem was working for a salad dressing company. I know, I know, pretty random. (laughs) But it was a fascinating experience. And once I got exposure to this uh, ambitious, uh, driven uh, founder profile, I was like, yeah, I I, got to stick around this world. I like it too much to go back to just, you know, um, a normal, if you will, normal job. And that's how I got here.
0: Well, thank you, Shawnee, and and you actually answered one of the the common questions I'll ask is is how you got started in in startup life and why you wanted to be in startups. And I think uh, chasing the ambition and and really liking that environment, I think, is is a great reason. And let's talk a little more about uh, you. Obviously, have a, a background in finance. We discussed, but let's talk through a little more about the user experience on the will to click. Because maybe from the user perspective. They don't view this as like a finance type of thing, even though it's handling finances. Um, it's more of like a getting getting a life in order type of uh, product. Can, so can you talk a little more to that effect?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So I really started drinking the Lean Start Methodology Kool-Aid some time ago. So, you know, obviously anyone can build a product and you can put it out there and then you're you know, shocked and appalled that nobody's interested in it. Um, and I was determined not to try, as best as possible, not to do that, to, to really be thoughtful and intentional about the product we we're building. So way, 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 way before we even put a line of code out there, we did a lot of surveys, we did a lot of interviews, both on the users, you know, somebody that has a will and somebody who has you know, estate management, but also on the other side. We spoke to estate planners, wealth advisors, um, even uh, even the attorneys, litigators. What is the problem that is happening around here? And, and the problem that we realize is that people are really well-intended. They really want to do right by their loved ones. They want to avoid their children, their loved ones fighting over stuff. But there really isn't a great tool to manage that. And then we started figuring out, okay, if that's the case, then what could we build to solve for that? And we prototyped and more prototyped and clickable prototype and took it around and got responses until we figured out, okay, what we think that people need is an easy and convenient way to aggregate all their assets, starting with the personal items, the jewelry, the watches, the art, the silver, and then pulling it back. And saying, zooming out and saying, okay, what does the entire estate look like? And how can we give people the visibility that really they're looking for? A key a key response in our surveys and in talking to people was the lack of the ability to know, am I being fair? Am I being fair? I've worked so hard to be fair to my children when I'm alive. How do I know I'm being fair to them when I pass? If I leave this one my bank account and this one my house, and this one my jewelry, and this one my art. How do I don't know it's being fair? And there is no way to do that today, unless you know ultra high net worth individual, and you have a family office, cool, awesome. But that's not the most of us. Most of us have no idea what we're doing, and that's the sol- the problem we're trying to solve for.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's really great. And one of the things that uh, got me interested in in your company is that. This, this, I saw the use case for folks with actually very few assets and me, may, maybe even no children. Uh, and they just want to allocate their items to their friends, to other other uh, people they know. And it's almost like a, a sign of, um, you know, respect or a hat tip to say, uh, you know, when I go, you get my bicycle or my nice road bike or whatever it might be. Um, and it's, I think that's, that's an interesting take. You know, that's my view on it. Um, is that something that would, uh, you know, the product could be used for where you could actually allocate, you know, smaller items like that. Maybe even there's a couch that, that your uh, colleague really likes when they come over to watch a football game or something. Is that something uh, that's possible?
1: Exactly. Exactly what it is for. It's not meant to be for your uh, collection of Chagall's or Monet's. You'll figure that out. If that's where you are, you'll figure it out. It's really meant to be, um, on the personal item front, you know, for the ring, that was important to you, for dad's favorite hat, for mom's pearl necklace. And to so you touched on something really interesting, which is, oh, I want to let them know now that I intend to leave this guitar or this trophy to somebody. That was uh, something that we built out that was went against my my original hypothesis. My original hypothesis was, I don't want anyone to know what they're getting when I die because, you know, I don't know, then maybe I need to check my brakes before I get into the car. Maybe mm-hmm. I need to be concerned about that. But by talking to people, they said no, that's not the case. 50% of the people said that they want their beneficiaries, the recipients of this item to know what they're getting all the time. Another 30% said sometimes yes, sometimes no. So part of you know, trying to be thoughtful and intentional about building a product is, have an hypothesis and test against it, and that's what we really try to do here.
0: Yeah, I think um, Eric Reese is speaking through you a little bit, so you've definitely been been reading the Lean Startup. Uh, I, I think we talk about that book almost every podcast. It's it's such a phenomenal read. Uh, the I like this notion though that you said you weren't really you know thinking this way, and then the customers were telling you, or prospective customers were telling you. I think that's really great, and. Um, you know, I know there's this kind of concern around. Uh, do I need to check my brakes or something? When when I first got a key key person risk policy um, in in my first startup, I felt the same way. I said, you know, if some someone knows the dollar amount they'll get uh, if something happens to me, this 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 seems like uh, misincentivizing. But um, what I would say is that uh, for your trusted circle to be able to show them, I guess to some extent respect for uh, something they might like or something that maybe even as you mentioned has a memory attached to it. I think that's really interesting and and we've seen that a little bit in the creator economy where people want to uh, fund or contribute uh, to people that they follow or that produce good content and and show them that uh, they they value that relationship. I see this as a way to show um, everyone the relationships you value and it's it's very interesting. Um, again, that, that doesn't dis- discount this fact. If you have some really high value items, <laughs> you might have to be concerned. Um, but leaving that that choice up to the user, I think, think is very powerful. Uh, so with that, tell us a little more about how you're doing user testing, where these users are coming from, because uh, I think in the past, maybe people thought they didn't need this, it wasn't interesting. But um, given the stuff we've just recently discussed, how this could be used in in very new and, and innovative ways. Um, where are your customers coming from and how are they thinking about this?
1: Yeah, so I think the way people are thinking about this is when they're looking for estate planning or trust in estate attorneys or some way to create a trust or a will. And we, will to click is not an online will creation site. There are plenty of those. They're super cool. And it's it's a tool. It's, a, it's certainly a tool for some people. What we're doing is we're looking at it from a different lens, which is not so much about the legality concerns about this, but more about how can we give people the visibility of their estate assets. The legalities, that leave it aside for now. What we found, again, I found is that when we did those surveys and the interviews of users, we found that they're not concerned about legalities. You know, hence the original name was Walter Click, but that's not that concern. What they're concerned is that if I don't leave instructions on the personal items, and as I, I say this, I'm, I'm looking at your books behind you, the lamp, the plants. if I don't leave instructions, then what I, I am leaving is a possibility to create a mess. And, um, that can de-risk that concern by just documenting in some place what I intend to do. And I'm comfortable that my intentions will be felt. So with that, if I say this pearl and diamond necklace is going to marry, I'm not worried that it's legally wrapped it up because if Mary knows that she's getting and Bob knows that she's getting it, and I've written it, and I've taken a picture of it and she has an email notification, then we're done here we Right down here. So when you talk about the the customer discovery, really it's about talking to the users that exist and getting the feedback from them with as open minded as possible. You talked about Eric Reese's book. That's really just the entree in this world. Is you know the mom test. I'm sure you bring it up all the time, right? It's like well, this is what I was like brainwashed literally in class. Um, on entrepreneurship and early innovation, which is find the fastest and cheapest way to eliminate the possibility an idea is not an idea. Fastest, cheapest, eliminate, not validate, because validate's not helpful. And whether it's a startup idea or even a a distribution idea, Facebook ads versus YouTube, whatever it is, find the fastest, the cheapest way to eliminate. And when we have that user base and we can start that dialogue, start the conversation, there's so many tools now that exist um, that, didn't, that didn't exist beforehand. And you can do that user testing pre-product, during product, post-product, continuous basis. There's that feedback loop, shorten it. There's a build, this is another one, right? Build, measure, learn, build, learn, measure, build, measure, learn, which one is it? Uh, build, measure, learn, repeat.
0: Yes, yeah, and I think I think that's something that I think that's something that our users are probably trying to put into practice, but is is easier in theory than in practice. And uh, what I would what I'd ask next here, because I think this is sort of a lo- logical progression, is we've we've talked about how you're doing things right, but uh, in in startups, uh, things can always go wrong. And uh, let's talk about the challenges that you see um, facing will to click and uh, how you make sure you get past them because you know as a startup, you got to believe your mission is so important that nothing's going to stop you. And so maybe maybe talk about those challenges and how you overcome those hurdles.
1: I think it's a balance. I think it's a balance. I think you know in life and certainly in startup life, there's a balance to know, You know when to hold them when to fold them when to walk away right and Mm -hmm. here you want to be tenacious you want to be gritty you want to be resilient you want to keep pushing 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 until you can push no more and then you want to take that thoughtfulness and say okay wait a minute maybe maybe we're done here in this iteration maybe we've taken this as far as we can maybe this should exist but i'm not the right person to build it I don't know, and I think it's a continuous battle. And I think when you talk about the things that you know, I could have done, you know, let's say better, I think there is a great advantage in having a co-founder. It's not necessary, but there is a certain great advantage. And for me, it wasn't about building a product. I can build a product. will built Wilter click was out in the App Store in 11 weeks from the time the developers started working until it was accepted in the App Store, 11 weeks done. But then the question happens, what next? and what next on the fundraising on the marketing on the recruiting on the product on the like on the feedback what next that's when it becomes a little bit harder for one person to manage as much as you know everyone is awesome and completely capable so I, I think like when i think through things i could have done a little bit better is perhaps being around the early team sooner rather than later which would make it easier to have that energy, that revitalization when you're in a slump, when you're weaker, to balance it out with the rest of your core team. Does that answer your question?
0: Yes, it does. And, and I think that's very, very helpful insight because a lot of the founders we have on the, the podcast are co-founders. And uh, it's really great to hear from a solo founder and for you to give that perspective on what it's like, maybe just to, to follow on to that, how are you thinking about hiring uh, early team members in what they're you know, how you see their large role in the, uh, in the organization.
1: Uh, so ideally you have the perfect person at the perfect time with the person cu- perfect cop and everything just uh, falls into place. I think what I look at the early team, I would want someone that has obviously a certain amount of subject matter expertise balanced out by hustle, by grit, by resilience, and the desire to build something. And oftentimes they're mutually exclusive. One is one and one is the other. If you want someone who's got an amazing amount of experience in a certain subject, um, I don't know if necessarily they want to be able to, you can expect them to get their hands dirty when necessary. You know, if taking out the garbage needs to get done, they're going to want to do that. And this is another book, of course, but when you're at that village stage of a startup, not the town, not the city, not the country, you really need everyone to do a little bit of whatever needs to get done. So I would say it's a balance. Um, How badly do you want this? How important is it to you? How much are you aligned to what we're building versus uh, how well do you fit on the team culturally, uh, value-wise, personality-wise, as well as the the skill sets that you have, the larger the team grows, the more you can be selective on the skills and less focused necessarily on whether or not they're, they're they're comfortable getting their hands doing dirty and doing what needs to get done, because you won't need that anymore. But if you don't have that person early on, you're not gonna get necessarily to the stage where you grow that big, it won't happen. So uh, hiring is one of the hardest things uh, a founder can do. And on the recruiting side, the time to look for someone to fit that role is six months before you need them. When I say six months, I mean six years (laughs) because really you should be constantly recruiting, always recruiting, always, always recruiting, always talking, always networking. Then when you have a reputation about that you're somebody that people want to work with, and you have the network of people that you have kept in warm touch with, in contact with. That's just a question of figuring out when the start date is.
0: Yeah, I think there's, there's been a, a way to summarize uh, that, that a lot of advisors have, have mentioned to me, and that is uh, a CEO's job or a founder's job is uh, selling, recruiting and fundraising. And those are the only three things. Uh, now, obviously, product, you know, is in there at some point and in, in the early days, that's, that's huge. But once that is really handed off to the the product team, uh, there's, there's really only three things to do. And uh, hopefully, you know, fundraising is not a forever thing, but oftentimes it is. Uh, and uh, but like you mentioned, recruiting is really at the forefront of that. And uh, for our last question here. I want to um, do two things. One is uh, I, I just think this is so interesting and in the way you framed it as like a mint, you know a mint.com um, which is now owned by Intuit, like a mint uh, is for your finances a financial directory. this is uh, will to click is almost like a possessions directory that helps you you know or, organize and allocate. I think that's such an uh, appropriate uh, uh, comparison there. Can you tell us a little more about maybe how you're thinking of going forward in terms of the partnerships you might form with something like a mint or whether uh, people have asked you if this, there's a licensing play? Uh, tell us a little more about that, because I think those are comments, uh, questions, startups come across.
1: Yeah. So when I think of it as mint is because while the personal items are emotionally valuable, And oftentimes that's what could set families apart, they're not necessarily intrinsically valuable as part of an estate. What is is life insurance, real estate, the primary home, the 401k, the IRA, the bank accounts. So the mission of Will to Click is to aggregate all of these financial assets in one tool. Starting with the personal items, but really aggregating, you know, even credit card points are inheritable and obviously depending on the credit card so really it's it's more of an aggregation tool with uh looking at it from the estate asset lens and to your point about partnerships yes you know w- one of the reasons why life insurance companies are uh, pnc are always pushing 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 because they're that high ltv so connecting with the uh, life insurance companies and uh, providing in-app referrals to the users within the app so that when they're at that point where they see their entire estate and they're like, oh, well, maybe I should add a policy. Maybe I should increase my policy. Let me, collect with, let me connect with Northwestern. Let me connect with your mutual, whatever Is the life insurance carriers are. Um, PNC, I didn't realize that all my physical items are worth so much. Let me connect with a, a Geico, an Allstate. And thinking of it like that, that's the right time and place For the users to reach out to those service providers those partners versus looking at it backwards where you know affleck is just you know all over the place on youtube and i'm not interested at that point but it's the right time and the right place to connect users with the service providers that are meaningful as part of building protecting and managing an estate
0: yeah that's very helpful i think it sounds like you're thinking about this as a network business where there's a whole ecosystem and uh, that's how you increase the value add over time. Uh, very interesting, uh, Shani, thank you so much for coming on the, the podcast. Uh, is there any, uh, thing else you'd like to say before we sign off or, uh, do you want to give the listeners an idea of where to find you?
1: Yeah, sure. So will to click is W I L L the number two and click. Is uh, available on the App Store, and yeah, uh, always. And uh, appreciate any comments, questions, feedback anybody may have. And thank you really for having me. It's been really a pleasure.
0: You're very (laughs) welcome, Shani. We'll include links to the show notes and and make sure everyone checks out Will to Click. That's it for this episode. Please be sure to follow Founders with Purpose and tune in again soon.